You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The rich and the poor, facing the differences and the gaps between hospitals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm with Mike Kalias, journalist and author of The Hospital Gap. Mike has worked as a reporter for the Associated Press. He was a healthcare reporter in Rhode Island and freelance writer for the Modern Healthcare Magazine and Hospitals and Health Networks Magazine. He is currently a reporter at Crane's Chicago Business and has recently reported on the widening gap between rich and poor hospitals in the Chicagoland area. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks Thanks for having me. I'm wondering why this is such an important issue to today's hospital CEOs and their physicians. In other words, why, why even look at this or report on this? Well, I think there's right now a big focus uh, on the problem of the uninsured in this country. I think it's something like 47 million. Americans don't have medical coverage. That numbers continue to grow. Um, all the presidential candidates are talking about it. I think it's probably going to dominate uh, next year's election. The governors in many states are proposing laws to try to fix that problem, including Illinois. But insurance coverage, I think, is is just one piece of that puzzle. I think if you look at it, you know, patients also need to have access to medical services. And you know, so when we focused on these independent urban hospitals in Chicago that we've looked at, uh, what we were really talking about is, I mean, these, these hospitals are a key part of the city's overall healthcare safety net, but, you know, by virtue of their locations, they serve, uh, you know, they're in low-income neighborhoods, they serve a disproportionate share of uh, needy patients, uninsured patients, pe- people who are on public aid, like Medicaid, and the well-being of these places and their future financial viability and the, their ability to maintain what are oftentimes really old and run-down facilities uh, is it important for the Chicago healthcare delivery system as a whole. Because even if a few of these places were to go out of business, there would be a ripple effect throughout the city's healthcare system. And these patients, uh, they wouldn't go away. They still need care. And the rest of the medical community would have, you know, would be expected to uh, pick up the slack. So, I mean, ultimately, it's, it becomes a, a public health issue down the road. So, Mike, how do you figure out what the gap is? How do you define the gap? How do you even know there's a gap? Yeah, and it's, it is difficult to quantify, I think. I mean, what we looked at specifically was the gap in capital investment that's available to these inner cities, uh, inner city hospitals, relative to the suburban hospitals and the academic medical centers or even community hospitals that are part of a larger health network. You know, we didn't look at their operating profits, although we did look at them, but that wasn't the focus. I mean, the two are very intertwined, but we looked specifically at, you know, their ability to invest in their facilities and and in new technology. And, you know, it's against the backdrop in Chicago, and I think, as is the case in many other places, you have literally billions of dollars being spent on what is the biggest hospital construction boom in decades. And, there's a lot of hospitals that have almost unlimited access to the capital markets for, you know, major expansions, renovations, actually replacing their facilities completely. And in the meantime, you know, it seems like every week we hear about another suburban hospital that's spending two or three hundred million on a new bed tower or a new hospital altogether. In the meantime, you've got this collection of inner city independent hospitals in low-income areas that are shut out of the capital markets because of their financial profile, and that. You know, that disparity has always been there, but I think healthcare analysts and the people who run these places are concerned that that gap is growing and is going to continue to grow. So it sounds like the gap has always been there. 
uh, it's still here, and as you said, it's going to grow. Is there really a root cause of the gap between the haves and the have-nots? The root cause also has been there for a long time, and it's you know, it's sort of logic would follow that these places are treating low-income patients. Some of them have 40, 50, 60 percent Medicaid patients, so they also have a high amount of debt because they serve a lot of uh, bad debt, rather, because they, they have people without insurance um, that go there, and they, they provide a lot of free care and charity care as well. So it's location, location, it, location. It really is, and and that's nothing new. And, and, and they have, you know, by virtue of their location, they don't, have, they don't have profit margins. They don't make money, and they can't build a cash surplus, which is one small way that you can build the kind of capital investment that you need to expand a facility or to buy new equipment. But the, the other problem is that without that cash flow, they, can't, they don't qualify for tax-free bonds. The markets aren't going to loan them money because they don't have the money to pay back the principal and interest. So uh, you know, bonds often pay for 50% or more of some of these big hospital construction projects. That's not an option for, for these guys. And then you know, the other root cause is they don't have the wealthy donors that the, the philanthropic base that, that, that a lot of suburban and teaching hospitals have. I mean, rich people are much less likely to donate money to a place that they'll never visit in a, a neighborhood they never go to. And in the meantime, interest rates have been really low, and so the hospitals that have been able to have been tapping those markets to be able to invest in their facilities, and in in these inner-city hospitals just haven't been able to do it. So is that what's been really driving the wave, the low, the low interest rates? I mean, that's part of it, but I think, you know, I think for starters, there's a lot of old hospitals in this country, and you know, a lot of the hospitals were built in the 40s and 50s and 60s with federal money, uh, from the Hill-Burton Act, which was passed in, I think, the mid-1940s to help communities build hospitals. And since then, they've been renovated two or three times over most places. And, you know, it's evident you walk into any hospital now and it's, you know, it's a hodgepodge of these connected buildings. You know, the ER might be in one building and the ICU in another and outpatient in another. And, you know, there's no doubt that a lot of these places need to be replaced. It's just that the cycle has, has come to that. But I think as big, if not a bigger part of this is, is competition. I mean, there's a big trend right now towards private patient rooms. Um, patients don't want to stay in a double room next to somebody anymore, and hospitals know that, and they're competing for patients who have full insurance, and so they can't move fast enough to build new bed towers or additions to replace their double rooms. Um, you know, that is aimed at safety, too. I mean, it, it cuts down on infections. Uh, but I think more times than not, it's also a competitive mood. I mean, if, if you're competing for patients who want their own room, their own bathroom, you know, a flat-screen TV, if, if you don't have private rooms, you're probably going to lose patients to another hospital that, that does. Mike, why do you think the gap is expected to get bigger in the coming years? Right now, you have a lot of trends that are favoring the hospitals that that have access to investment capital. And some of these were spelled out in a recent report from Standard & Poor's, the bond rating agency, which I uh, used in, in my reporting. Um, they came out with a report uh, just last month that, that, in their words, warned of a potential wave of closures and mergers and bankruptcies among uh, independent urban hospitals. And this is nationally, not just Chicago, um, because of this same issue, because of this growing gap in access to investment capital. And I think they hit on a few trends. One is is consumerism. I mean, people aren't just going to where their doctors send them now. They're actually picking and choosing based on quality and reputation and cost. And so, and that's being driven in part by insurance companies and employers that are offering consumer-directed plans. And that favors the, the hospitals that are able to afford private rooms and newer technology and 
specialty pr- procedures, um, and frankly, who can afford big marketing budgets too. That's that's part of it. But I think another trend that will uh, will probably see the gap widen further is quality. I mean. There's a trend towards pay for performance. Insurers and, and employers more and more are willing to pay hospitals more, the ones that can prove that they provide better care and safer care. You know, a big component of patient safety is is expensive computer systems, so physician order entry systems that might reduce medication errors. All costs a lot of money. Yeah, and that costs a ton of money. I talked to one academic medical center in Chicago that's spending $70 million just on their IT system over the span of several years. And, and it is. It's a huge capital outlay. And, I mean, the result for the, for the inner city hospitals that can't afford those is they might get reimbursed less by payers if they can't show quality. And it's also harder for them to document quality. You have to crunch numbers in terms of outcome, and, and that's almost impossible without an electronic medical record. So where, where do you think the gap is felt the most? Do you think it's... Uh, hurting physician salaries, or do you think it's in the technology field, or as you said, the the equipment that these hospitals have to buy? I think it shows up most in two ways, I guess. One would be patient satisfaction, and that's just, you know, patients want and expect nice facilities now, and if you don't have one, you are going to be at a competitive disadvantage. You know, these inner city hospitals, some of them, at least in Chicago, are in gentrifying neighborhoods where you might have some patients now who actually have commercial insurance, but unless you have a reason for them to go there, they're not going to choose to go to your facility. They're going to choose to go someplace five or 10 miles away that does have private rooms or does have a cath lab that they can use. And then I think the other thing is technology, like we've talked about. I mean, you know, is a 10-year-old CAT scan machine unsafe? No, but you know, I think physicians feel like they can make a better diagnosis with, with the higher resolution, uh, newer generation machines. I think for an example, a radiologist uh, may want to work with a, a PACS system, a, a picture archive uh, communication system to view images on the computer rather than film. I mean, there's some uh, medical residents who may have hardly ever worked with film, so are they going to want to go to a, a uh, hospital that doesn't have a PACS system, which you know some of the ones I've talked to don't have. And, and IT, I think, is probably the biggest one. I think you know that really goes beyond just a matter of convenience and it becomes a patient safety issue. So how do you think this gap is going to well, I mean, it, it is threatening inner-city hospitals, but how do you think it's going to play out? You know, the threat is not that these places are going to fall apart or get shut down by regulators because of this barrier to investment capital. You know, that said, there are some places that are in very bad shape, and a few of the hospitals I talk to, you know, whenever they can scrape together uh, some money, it gets eaten up by repairs to their elevator shafts or ductwork or boilers and things like that. But now, that said, I think for the most part, they're, they're able to limp along and band-aid their plants. Um, but I think the real threat that, that faces them is, is a bigger competitive threat that they already have by virtue of the capital spending of other hospitals. Um, just they're, they're falling further behind them, and they won't be able to offer the kind of services that they need. And without being able to generate profits, it's sort of like a vicious cycle. I mean, if you don't have the capital to invest, you can't attract the patients. You know, without patients who are willing to pay, you can't generate the profits. So, so what, do you, what do you think other cities and other hospital CEOs can learn by listening to this show that can help them prepare for the oncoming onslaught of um, what's happening with hospitals? Well, again, I think, you know, this isn't just Chicago-specific. I think this is 
playing out everywhere. I mean, this construction, hospital construction boom is, is a national phenomenon. And I think, you know, what gets lost in the shuffle when people talk about some of these expensive projects, uh, one after the other, and they show up in the local paper and, you know, hey, they're spending $200 million on a new expansion of, of this place or that place, is what happens to the, the places that, that take a disproportionate share of the needy patients. And, you know, I think that there probably needs to be some level of, of understanding uh, more broadly, so step back from your own facility and look at the overall system that you belong to, whether it be a suburban area of Chicago or downtown or um, even more regionally, the Chicago area as a whole, and, and look at where the capacity is and look at you know what might make sense to put where and actually maybe partner with some of the other hospitals in your area to figure out, instead of just what services can I do to boost my bottom line? Uh, maybe what services are needed in this neighborhood to serve this need? I'd like to thank our guest, Mike Kalias. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you have been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>